there was a little girl named Renee, and she had gone to church, and the church had had a baptismal service. And so she had watched, she was, oh, about five years old, I would say, maybe six. And she had watched the pastor baptize. I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then the next person, I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Renee had watched this service and was intrigued by it. And so they got home after church on the Sunday night. And little Renee was in there with her baby dolls taking a bath. And the mama began to get worried about her because she had been in there for so long. And so her mother goes and peeks through the crack of the door to see what Renee's doing. And she's in there with her baby dolls, but she's baptizing her baby dolls. And Renee kind of got it right, but not quite. But So as the mama was looking in, she was listening, and little Renee would take her little baby doll, and she goes, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and in the hole you go. <laughs> Unfortunately, for many of us, and no doubt within our churches, We do ministry, we baptize, we sing, we pray, we do what we do in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's in the hole He goes. But yet, Jesus taught something in John 16, I want us to look, And you'll see why we're even covering this here today in a moment. But look at John 16, verse 7. Now Jesus is with his disciples. And he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then look at verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, there's something interesting here that Jesus taught. Notice, the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was not in people. The Holy Spirit was around people. The Holy Spirit helped people, but the Holy Spirit did not live within people. Instead, you have the temple of God that was kind of noted as the presence of God, God's dwelling place. And so, people would go to the temple, which would be like the church in today's life. And they knew that God's presence was inside of this temple. And the Holy Spirit was around, but not within. So here in John 16, after Jesus has done a couple of years of ministry with his disciples, he says, hey guys, listen. In a little while, I'm going away. Well, first off, they didn't like that. Where is he going? He says, but it's going to be to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, then I can send the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to help you. You see, what it comes down to is Jesus was 
only where Jesus was as he went around and as he ministered to people. But what he was saying was, hey guys, if I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit who will indwell you like nothing has ever been done before. The previous thousands of years had never been done. The Holy Spirit will come and live within you. God's presence will no longer just be in the temple. God's presence will be within your own life. See, they had never had that before. They had ministered and been a part of God's, of Christ's miracles and God's touching people's lives. They had done, been a part of all that God had done in the Old Testament, but the Holy Spirit had never been within them to empower them. Here's Jesus coming up, saying, hey guys, listen. I'm going to send you a helper. Now, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but I do. God has given me a sense of uh, some common sense. And I know this. Think about it. You don't send a helper to someone unless they need help. Is that right? None of us in this room, I hope, will take a cell phone out and call 911 for a medic to come unless someone falls out with a heart attack or something, right? If someone needs help here, we're going to call a medic to come and administer CPR. That's common sense. So what Jesus is saying is, hey guys, you're going to need help. You need help to fulfill all that I've taught you so that you can live out the Christian life as God commands you and as you want to live out the Christian life, but you can't do it on your own. You're going to have to have some help. So that's why he says it's to your advantage that I send a helper is because Jesus already knows you need help. You see, that's part of the problem that we have as Christians and non-Christians alike is we, especially as Christians, we acknowledge God and we believe in God, but we don't rely upon His help to live out the Christian life. Thus, we continue to fall into the same sin. We continue to act like an idiot. We continue to not do the things that God's called us to do and wants us to do. We become frustrated with ourselves. We're full of anxiety. We're full of our own selfishness when, when it really comes down to it. We have all of this stuff within us. And then, the, and then the church says, hey, we want you to share Jesus. It's really God's word says, I want you to share Jesus. Or I want you to study the Bible. I want you to sing and worship God. Or whatever the case may be. But the truth is, most days... I don't want to. Is anybody else like that? I mean, think about it. In 2012, in the busyness of everything, why in the world would I want to leave this place and go over to Nukes for lunch and share Jesus with somebody? You see, the flesh that lies within me doesn't want to carry out the Christian life. And Jesus knew that. So he dies on the cross resurrects from the tomb. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1. But you see, he knows that you and I are incapable of doing anything God-like without God's infilling. And there's a great difference, y'all, between being good and being like God. God's not called any of us to simply live a good life and then die. God has called us to live out God's life, God through us. That's why he indwells within us. 
Because we are the hands of God in Mobile, Alabama. We are the mouthpiece of God in Mobile, Alabama. We are the eyes that looks at people with great compassion. We are the ones who goes in and literally are the hands. That's how come Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you do it in my name. You do it for me. You do it for me. You see, we've got to quit babying around. Now, it's Memorial Day, so I'll get a little patriotic, I guess. But listen to me. Yes, we need a better economy. Yes, we might need a change of government. Yes, we might need better schools. Yes, we might need, we might need, we might need, we do need, we do need, we do need, we do need. But the bottom line is nothing's going to fix the United States of America and the red, white, and blue until the church of God, the people of God, get right with God and get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. And we can sit around and watch Fox at night and get all mad. We can send emails around that someone sent to us, and half of them aren't even true anyway. Oh, and by the way, if someone sends you an email, it doesn't mean that it's true. Just like the media half the time is not true. But let me say this. We, God, God is waiting for a group of people and a church that will simply come before Him and pour themselves out every day and be filled with the Holy Spirit every day so that we can be the hands and feet and mouthpiece of Jesus. He's, I, I don't know why He chose it this way. I mean, wouldn't you think if you're God and you can hang the stars, you'd have the stars right out, I am God. Wouldn't that be a cool celestial whatever? Look up there and star says, I am God. But would it take faith? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, Hebrews says. So instead, Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to need help. I want to fill you. I want to empower you. I want you to be my hands and feet. I don't want you to live a defeated life trying to live the Christian life when you're not really capable of doing that. So I'm going to instill my spirit into you to help you to do it, to help you be victorious. So, he dies on the cross. Remember, that was to their advantage and our advantage. Flip with me to Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 2, chapter 1. Until the day in which he was taken up, and after through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he had presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So Jesus dies. He resurrects. 
He's with the apostles, these followers of Christ, in the, what is probably the upper room. We don't know the location. And he's, but he's making appearances to them for 40 days. Now, you know when Easter was, right? Forty days after Easter, after the resurrection, Jesus reveals himself. But then on this particular day, the 40th day, he says, Hey guys, wait in Jerusalem. Don't depart, just wait for Jerusalem until the promise of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They had no idea what he's even talking about. He had said, I'm going to send you a helper. But now he's saying, don't go anywhere until the promise comes, the Holy Spirit comes. And when he comes now, you're going to receive power. The word power is the Greek word dunamis, which is the English word dynamite. So what he's saying is, when, when, no, don't go anywhere, but wait. And when, in, 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 in a short time now, the, the, you're going to have power come upon you. Dynamite power is going to come upon you. Power to do what? He says, it's clear. And you shall receive power. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost ends. I praise God for the mission focus of Luke 4.18. I'm amazed. Last week I was in a meeting with Brother Fred or Martin or David or somebody, SL, somebody, and I was asking about missions and began to find out how much money and how many teams and how many things we've done in regards to missions. Y'all have done in regards to missions the last four years. It's amazing. And as we move forward, it's going to continue to expand. I mean, both locally and across the country and around the globe. But listen, if we rely only upon what we give and a few people to go, that's good. What God's talking about is something supernatural. You see, we, the question is, are we going to do ministry and missions based on what we're capable of doing in the name of Christ, or we're going to rely upon the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives us power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the othermost ends. You know, in the Scripture, in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, every time we see a person, quote, filled with the Spirit, they immediately go share about Jesus every time. So, I've got a book that's in the lobby that I wrote on this particular topic, and what I what I recognized after I did the year and a half study on this subject is this. A good indicator if a person is filled with the Spirit is if they're overflowing with Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience. It kind of sounds like a greeting card, doesn't it? The truth is, why do I want to love some people that's unlovable? I remember a friend, not a friend, a, 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 an intern with me several years ago was all mad because no one showed up to, to go do ministry with him, and, except for one guy. And this intern got mad, just like, the heck with that guy. I'm all mad because nobody showed up for my program. And he went in this gym, and he was all mad. And I walked in there, I'm like, what's wrong with you, Ben? He said, ministry would be fine if it wasn't for people. But he really meant it. I said, Ben, learn the lesson. Ministry is people. Without people, there is no ministry. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. 
Isn't that what really the world's looking for? Go to the local bar. What are they looking for? Genuine joy. Authentic love. Right? I mean, here's the deal. The fruit of the Spirit is what people, all of us, all of us, we long to have love, to have joy, to have peace, right? But what happens is we have a lost world who's longing for the same things that we long for, those items. Just peace. I mean, some of the wealthiest people in the world, you've heard their, their story, they say, I just wish I had one day of peace. But you see, we can't just go and give away peace or give away joy or give away love. And we can't have authentic love and peace and joy. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon us in the Spirit, in, what's it say? The fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what comes out of being Spirit-filled is love and joy and peace. So what happens is when we walk through life, when, we, when I go to a Nukes for lunch or a public supermarket to buy groceries this afternoon or uh, wherever I go, right? It's not just me verbally talking about Jesus. It's where I am so surrendered to God that he's pouring those things into me that it's overflowing into the lives of other people. And that's what, other, that's what the lost is attracted to because that's what people want. That's what people need. That's the deep longing in their hearts. And I'm Southern Baptist to the core, work at Southern Baptist School, become an executive dean to teach pastors how to be pastor. But listen, it drives me crazy that we continue to rely and think programs are going to win people to Jesus. Programs don't win people to Jesus. People who are so infilled with the Holy Spirit that they demonstrate who God is, it just pours out of them. That's what wins people to Jesus. That's what people are longing for. And so Jesus says, wait for the promise. So they wait. Day one, day two, day three. Gets up to the tenth day. And on the tenth day, which was a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. In fact, today is the day of Pentecost. We celebrate this day today. It's called Pentecost. So today is Pentecost, and today is the day, roughly 2,000 years ago, that the Holy Spirit, for the first time ever, went inside of people to work out of them. It's the first time that it went poured into people so that they could bear the fruit of the Spirit. Today's the day. Today is the day, 2,000 years ago, roughly, that the, the new, of the New Testament church. Church started. The original church started today, 2,000 years ago. Did we know that? Isn't that incredible? Most, I, I, I preach this message and people don't know what Pentecost is. They don't know what day the church started. They don't know where our power comes from. And so, therefore, we continue to operate doing the same thing in the same way by, by trying to do it with programs in my own might and will that I will be good today. But I can't be good today. My flesh is too powerful. My righteousness is as filthy rags, the scripture says. I've got to have the Holy Spirit work through me to help me, to enable me, to empower me. So he says, wait, and then look what happens. 
Verse 9, Now when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and the cloud received him out of their sight. It had to be an unbelievable sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And the two men said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, etc. Verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication and with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. And he said, verse 16, Men and brethren, this scripture has to be fulfilled, which is the Holy Spirit spoke before the mouth of David concerning Judas. And what they go on to say some time is they have a business meeting, basically, and they decide how they're going to replace Judas. So here's what we see in that part. During these ten days, they gather together and they're in an upper room. They're in hiding. Now, they had been with Jesus for three years. They knew the scripture, which was the Old Testament at the time. It says that they were praying together. It says that they were as one accord. It says that they had a business meeting to replace Judas with another, uh, another person to be one of the, the disciples. I'm sure they sang songs. They loved the Lord. They did. Is that not a picture of what we do today? They prayed. They loved the Lord. They knew Jesus. They loved God. They knew the Old Testament. They had a business meeting. I mean, they were just like the modern church. Exactly like the modern church. Until something happens. Look what happens in chapter 2. Verse 1. And the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now what's this other tongue? Let's take a look, verse 5. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. What would happen on this Jewish holiday called Pentecost is people from other countries or Jews who spoke different, different languages would, would come together in Jerusalem. And so here they are in Jerusalem together and they speak different dialects, different languages. But when the Holy Spirit comes, the, he begins to give them the ability to speak in other tongues. Look at this. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Their own diakalos, dialect. So what we have is they heard these, Jew, these disciples of Christ began to speak in other languages. It would be like me all of a sudden speaking Spanish to some people here who are Spanish. I saw this once occur in Romania with me. We're Romanian in a pressure cooker, we don't have time, urgent situation. A Romanian swimmer, part of the, uh, he was almost on their Olympic team, 
who was a believer, all of a sudden, in the urgency of the hour, began to speak absolute perfect English to me, and he can't speak English. I've never seen anything like it. And this is what we see here, but some of the people were like, these guys are drunk. And other ones are like, what's going on? This is odd. But look what happens. They go from doing typical church work of let's just come together and be united and have a business meeting and love God and have the scriptures to something entirely different. What we see is when the Spirit of God filled them, they went out. They were no longer in. They went out. They were no longer scared. They were empowered. And they go out and they begin to share. And so it ends up being the rest of this chapter. Peter begins to preach to the people that were standing there. And here's the end result. Chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? You see, people begin to ask and become under God's conviction when they see authenticity within God's people. And so what happens is these people said, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to, and here we are, And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. What was the result? Verse 40. And when many other words, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized that day. About 3,000 souls were added to them. They went from a small group in a small room to all of a sudden being empowered and going out and God flowing through them and 3,000 people in a single day come to, to know Christ. Well, is that the end? Was it only for them? What's it say? This promise is for you and your children and those who are afar off. Who is that? That's us. Aren't you glad that you don't have to live the Christian life by your own power? You see, when we live it by our own power, we fail miserably, don't we? I know I do. If I sin, if I blow it, if I don't have joy in my life, if I don't have peace in my life, the bottom line is I can always go back. If I'm really honest with self, I'm not truly getting before God and in, in, in letting Him fill me with His Spirit. When my joy is lacking, my Savior is not operating in my life. So how come Paul says you can have joy no matter the circumstance. You can have peace that surpasses all understanding. I mean, are, this, are these empty promises? No. They're God's Word. Now, Paul goes on, the church expands, and Paul teaches us, he says in Ephesians 5, 18, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Another scripture says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in other words, God's no longer everywhere. Now, when you receive Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Okay? So you, got, you have the Spirit of God when you come to know Christ. However... As Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, be filled. 
The idea there in the Greek is continue to be filled on an ongoing basis. Now let me explain that to you, what that means. The best that I can. A few years ago, a friend of mine, or actually a man in my church, had been in a real bad accident and won a tremendous amount of money in the lawsuit. He had trouble walking, and I haven't talked to him in years, but he probably still to this day has severe pain and can't walk, and he should have been given some kind of uh, payment. But he comes and he, calls, he shows up at the church one day, and he says, uh, he's from the hills of North Carolina, he says, he said, Brother Joe, come out, I want to show you what I got. So I walked out not knowing what I was going to see, right? He's now gone out and bought a Dodge Viper, bright yellow Dodge Viper. I mean, I don't know, somebody here probably knows, what's that, a $100,000 car, I would think? I mean, the doors opened, it was sleek, I mean, you go inside, and I mean, it was unbelievable. He says, come on, get, sit, get in the car with me. And so I'm looking around, he goes, come over here, I want you to drive it. And I'm not, I mean, you know, one car, another car, I really don't care, but when I'm driving it, that's, I, that car looked good all of a sudden. And I sit down with him, and we're in this Dodge Viper, right? But here's the bottom line. That car with that kind of value and that kind of engine can't even pull out of the church parking lot unless he goes across the street and gets gas. (laughs) We're a little, uh, a small car, a Celica or something, right? If he's sitting next to the Viper and he goes and gets gas, he's going to go down the highway while the Viper is still sitting in the parking lot. You see, what's happened is when Jesus saved us, and because you're a creation of God, you have amazing value. God has placed in you the engine of the, of the Viper. And he's given you everything that you need to live out this life. The problem is, we don't go get filled. And then we become frustrated because we have all of these promises of God in His Word, but we can't live it out because, and we don't know why. Beth Moore went out and did a study. She said that she started asking people, who is really satisfied with your Christian life? Who's really feels like, Maybe if you're honest, there's more to your life than what you're living. And you know what happened? Overwhelmingly, Christian people said, I feel like I'm missing something. Well, what we're missing when those times come in our life is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We've got to go get filled up. It's an everyday occurrence. Now, I'm going to show you an illustration to close out today, and then we're going to have a really... Uh, what, I, what I think is a powerful invitation. I'm so glad Brother Fred asked me to preach today because this one sermon, I've gotten to preach it all over the place and God always moves on people's hearts at the end. But I need a model. I need somebody that looks good, right? To come up on stage and help me and the best I know how, that has to be Herb Fisher, okay? So come on up and help me. If, her, if you sit on the front row, you, don't never, you never know what you're going to be asked to do. 
Now, I've got a pot. He's got one duty, hold the pot. Can you do that? But let's, let's get up close enough where they can see you over there. Now, I want to show you something real quick, though. Turn with me to John seven thirty-eight. Now, y'all, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, hear me. If you get this and understand this, this will change your life radically. In John 7, 38, actually 37, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried out saying, listen, he didn't just say, hey, y'all, everybody, listen, I want to tell you something. No, it says, and on that feast, Jesus stood and he cried out. He wept. The the Greek is, he wept loud. He wanted everyone to hear. It was important for them to know what he was going to say. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So what I have here in the illustration is, this is Jesus. Come to him and drink. Picture this as he is, this is Jesus, okay? Okay. And then he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, wait a minute. How is it coming out of his heart? So if Herb Fisher, this is him, and this represents the temple that lies within him. And Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. If you'll believe in me, rivers, not trickle effect, not creeks, not little, little... hose-type water, but rivers of living water will flow out of his heart. Well, if Jesus is the living water, what's that got to do with him? He didn't say rivers will flow out of my heart. He says rivers will flow out of his heart. Is that right? Well, one day I'm like, well, now that makes sense to me. The river should be coming out of Jesus' heart, not our hearts. But there he is. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we see him glorified after Acts chapter 2. We see this begin to take place. So here's Herb Fisher. Here's Jesus. And Jesus comes along. And I want to show you this, right? Jesus comes along. And and we got the bucket just so we don't mess up the floor. But... Hold it up, Mr. Fisher. I got to see it. Right? And Jesus is flowing in. And what happens is here's someone else that's lost or saved. And what happens is he begins to pour into them. Right? Go ahead and pour into me. Living water. You can't sustain life without living water. That's why the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea, because there's no, there's no outlet for it to go. What comes in must go out. You see, Jesus gives us what he's got, not for us to hoard for ourselves. Yeah, I, when I lived in Central Florida, I used to love to drive through the orange groves, especially when the oranges were out there. It was incredible to see real oranges growing. And I would drive through the groves and I'd look. And I remember one day, me and a friend of mine were over visiting someone and, and he had all kinds of problems. And we got in there and we shared Jesus with him. And we got down on our knees and he received Christ. And we walked out and there's an orange tree in his front yard. And there was fruit all over the ground, rotting on the ground. 
And that friend of mine looked over to me and he goes, isn't that what life is, ministry is right there? And I said, what do you mean? He said, there's fruit everywhere to be picked. But we're letting it sit on the ground and rot. But going through those groves, listen, oranges grown in orange tree not to be pretty. Oranges grown in orange tree to be picked and eaten and consumed for nutrition. You with me? Fruit of the Spirit looks pretty growing on you, but it is not just to grow on you. It is to be picked by other people, so it's because it's nutrition to those people. Does that make sense? So as we pour in, He pours out. It goes through Him. Now, look what this happens. Let's go back to Him. Now, here's what happens, though. The idea is that Jesus wants to pour in to Herb Fisher. Now, Check this out. Don't think a magic show is starting, don't you? <laughs> Miss Fisher? Never mind. It's going to have you hold a balloon in your mouth. Here's the deal. Hold it up a little bit, Miss Fisher. God's pouring in, right? He's the living water. He's the real deal. But then Herb Fisher comes around, and he has a little bit of sin in his life, and you start mixing that in, and God's pouring in, and look at what happens. Who wants that fruit? You with me? I was honored to spend some time with Henry Blackaby. And Blackaby, Dr. Blackaby said to me, Joe, listen to me. You can't be 99% fessed up. You have to be 100% fessed up. You know why? Because a little bit of sin ruins the whole thing. And then God's living waters gets ruined with your sin. And we wonder why people say, all those people at church... They're all the same. It's all they see. But then the problem is this. Then we come around and we have all kinds of children's activities, right? Family, family, children, children. I mean, all kinds. You got your family. You got life. Yes, that's important. It's essential. But listen, as God's pouring in to you, if you don't have time because you fill the summer up with every kind of family activity under the sun and you forget God... Or you have God in the back of your mind and He's trying to pour in and you've got all this stuff going in, right? He can't fill up what He can't have that's already filled with something else. So then what happens is we turn around and so, you know, they got this stuff called life water. It's pretty good. I like it. I don't know how this life. But the idea is this. Then we turn around life itself, anxieties, Got to work, got to run around, computer stuff all the time, paperwork all the time, bills to pay, air conditioners to fix, tires to replace, you know, birthdays to attend, right? We become filled with life water and we start overflowing with our own stuff. And not that it's bad, it might be good, but we're overflowing with life so much that Jesus can't pour himself in anymore. And then to top that off, Then we turn around, and here's the big one. You all right? Here's the big one that applies for most in here, church stuff. And we sit around, and we have the purity of, of, of the whiteness of his word. Absolutely, 100%. But what blows my mind 
that I don't understand is how many Bible studies are we going to have or do we need before we actually activate what we've learned? We're so full of knowledge because we have access to knowledge that we forget all he wants to do is pour in and there's nowhere else to pour. But we turn around and... Now again, Bible studies are great. We need to do them, right? I advocate for them. Church work, singing in the choir, being on some committee, doing this, doing that. All of that's a necessary part of it. But I tell you what, if you're filled up with, with, with church stuff and religiosity, all you're doing is overflowing with a bunch of religion. And God's sitting there saying, all I want you to do is drink of me. You all right? Now look at this. Here's a man of God. That's why I chose him. I have great respect for Mr. Fisher. As an illustration, as good as he's done and all the mission work he's done and all that he served the Lord, if he lets a little sin and starts letting religion and, and, and just church stuff and running around with life, and life's not, you know, I mean, none of that was bad. It has to be done. But we just let life dictate us and sin and all this other stuff. And Jesus over here, look what he's got to give to other people to overflow with. Isn't that nasty? I start bringing one of those energy drinks. Get all amped up, right? Because then we go on a high for Jesus and then we crash. And we go on a high for Jesus and we crash. That's, and Jesus sitting there saying, I just want you to drink for me every day. Why are you trying to hit these highs? Why has it got to be some super show for you to have faith in me? But then on top of that, we turn around and he's got, you know, I mean, let, let, let's kind of pick on him. I'm not saying this is true, but then let's say that he's full of anxieties. Well, then, you know, he's got anxieties all in this cup and he's got just, just self-pity, right? He's got the economy's bad and health issues. And well, then we become absorbed with ourselves so much so that Jesus can't pour into us because we're so full of self-pity. Jesus can't pour into us. No wonder we're anxious because we're anxious about whatever's going on around us. Or maybe it's the pursuit of, I mean, it's greed. I, I don't know what it is. Lots of these things are sin. Some of them aren't sin. But even the things that aren't sin can push out Jesus and not allow any space for him to pour into you. So what do we have to do? I'll give you four things that you've got to do to be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Don't worry. We'll be done by two. <laughs> Here it is. First off, and this is it's not necessarily in this particular order, but here's the deal. First off, you've got to confess your sin. If you fa- confess your sin before him, he's faithful and just to forgive your sin, right? It says he cast into the sea, he remembers it no more. What does Herb Fisher need to do with all this junk when he realizes his life's got all this stuff in it? Some good and some bad. A little bit of sin, but a whole lot of life's anxieties, right? What's he need to do? He's got to turn around and take that, and the bottom line is do what? He's got to turn around and empty himself out. Holy Spirit, help me. Remember, he's the convictor. If you feel conviction over any of this, that's the Holy Spirit operating in your life. That's a great thing. Praise God He's in your life to convict you. So what happens is, he's, 
He's convicting her fisher, and he says, I will help you do this. I know you don't know what to do with life. I know you still want to hold on to that sin. I know you're, 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 you're in self-pity, so, but, but I want to help you. That's why I'm sending the Holy Spirit to come into you. I will pour into you, but you've got to, I can't pour into what I can't have. So what's it say you've got to do? You've got to, by the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace of God Almighty, look at it. Pour it out. Go ahead and pour it in the bucket. Pour that out. Every single day so that your cup is clean and that he's got plenty of place to pour into you. You see that? Now hold this. I'll hold your glass because it's getting heavier. Okay? So here you are every day. And here's God pouring into you. But here's the deal. Second thing is, first you, conf- you, you have to confess your sin. Secondly, you've got to get in the right position, y'all. Look, God's pouring... He's, not, he's pouring, you have to get under the spout to receive what comes out. As the old black guys say. Right? If you're over here and he's pouring, look at this. You're not getting any more filled than you were yesterday. You've got to get underneath of Jesus Christ. And the idea is, as he pours into you, then you can overflow. So number one is what? Confession of sin. Number two, get in the right position. What is that position? The position of surrender. You're underneath of God. You see that? You're surrendered to Him. You're underneath of Him. And that's number two. Number three, look with me. I promise you this is the last verse. Luke eleven thirteen. This is key to the whole thing. And this is where we're in. Jesus is teaching... 11.13, he says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father, say it with me, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This isn't rocket science. Don't complicate it. You don't have to go buy a bunch of books. You don't have to go listen to a bunch of CDs. You don't have to go to Lifeway every week. You don't have to run around and do all this stuff. There's one thing that's important. And that is letting pour into you. Be in the right position. Every day, empty self every day. Say, God, help me to do these things. And he enables you. He's the helper. And Lord, help me to be filled with you. I need you. And the Holy Spirit, the living water, Jesus starts flowing into your life. But you do it every day. Miss Bertha used to say, take your cross, take your sins to the cross every day. And that's what you do. And But look what happens. You ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You have not because you ask not. And so every day we should ask throughout the day, Holy Spirit, fill me. That's what Ephesians 5.18 says. And what's it for? The glory of Jesus, so that when we sing, we can praise Him because the Holy Spirit enables us. We can pray, we can pray with power because the Holy Spirit enables us. When we witness, we can witness for Him because the Holy Spirit enables us. When we want to sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us and keeps us from that sin. Right? It's the Holy Spirit all the time acting in our life. And so the bottom line is this. When you ask, He will pour in. Will He not? Sure He will. And as he pours in, you overflow, and you overflow, and you overflow, and you overflow, and you overflow. And it never stops till the day that you die, and then you don't need that anymore because you're in the presence of the Lord. See how that works? So the question is this. Well, that's nasty. You ain't taking that home, are you? 
<laughs> he said, I'm glad you didn't ask me to drink it. Well, I'm glad I did too. All right. You, yes, sir. Here's the deal. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Today in this place, our invitation is this. I ask a question first. Has the Holy Spirit, the convictor, that's an act of love, by the way, conviction is. Has the Holy Spirit said to you, why are you filled with this anxiety? Why are you filled with this self-pity? Why are you so absorbed with your own problems in life that you aren't allowing enough space for me to pour into you? Why are you holding on to this one little sin that's ruining all of my living water as it pours into you? See, the bottom line is, this verse, Acts, I mean, Luke, that's a choice, isn't it? It's a choice. We'll give the Holy Spirit to those who, what? Ask. It's a choice. It's up to you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants to, and God can, and God will. He's the living water. He wants to flow into you and out of you every day. So the invitation is this. If you're a believer, you know Christ. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? If not, ask Him. There's no need for you to walk out of this place without being filled with the Spirit. But first, is there something you need to confess? Do you need to get in the right position to be filled? Underneath Him, surrendered place. And then begin to say, Lord, I'm sorry I'm self-absorbed. I'm sorry I have this sin. I'm sorry I ask your forgiveness for, for this, for that. Whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind. And you just confess it to the Lord during this invitation time. And then you say, Holy Spirit, based on your word in Acts 11, I ask you to fill me. Oswald Chambers, by the way, this verse is, is on his tombstone. He was, you know, the, who wrote Upmost for His Highs? He so much got moved by this verse and understood the Holy Spirit so much so with this verse. He was serving as a missionary for the Salvation Army in the Suez Canal during the war. And he died on the field and his body is buried in the old Cairo, Egypt uh, cemetery. And you can go right now, Oswald Chambers. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? That's written on his tombstone. He got it. 